You're listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast of readings and archives from City Lights books and publishers. To learn more, visit www.citylights.com. Greetings, everybody. Peter Maravellis here on behalf of City Lights booksellers and publishers and the City Lights Foundation. I'd like to welcome you to another installment of City Lights Live, the online component of the City Lights events calendar. As is customary before each event, I'd like to remind everyone we are beaming to you from the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ohlone peoples, also known as the San Francisco Bay Area. We'd like to take this moment to offer respect to those who've come before us as stewards of the land. As many of you know, City Lights is a publisher as well as a bookstore. One of our areas of interest and something that we place a great value upon is literature in translation. It is always a pleasure when we're able to celebrate the launch of one of our own books, and we are especially delighted and honored to be able to publish the work of Belen Gopigu. In 2011, we published a translation of her debut novel into English titled La Escala de los Mapas, The Scale of Maps, which has received much critical acclaim. She has since published six more novels, stories, young people's fiction, and screenplays, several of her books, have been adapted for the cinema. We are pleased to once again be able to bring you a new work by her and also to have her here with us today. The new novel is called Stay This Day and Night With Me. It is translated by Mark Schaefer. He is also joining us today. Mark has translated poetry, fiction, and essays by authors from across the Spanish-speaking world into English with a focus on contemporary Mexican poetry and fiction. He has led and co-led workshops on literary translation and has spoken on panels widely across the world about literary translation and in honor of various Latin American authors. Moderating today's event is Catherine Silver. Catherine is someone we greatly respect here at City Light. She is one of the country's great translators of literature. Her most recent and forthcoming translations include works by Maria Sonia Christoph, Cesar Aria, Julio Cortazar, and Juan Carlos Oneta, amongst others. She is a former director of Banff International Literary Translation Center and the author of the book, Echo Under Story. Before we begin our program, I'd like to let you know we will be posting links in the chat function of your Zoom dashboard with which you may purchase books. I also suggest that you all switch to speaker view, which you can do that through the upper right-hand corner of your Zoom dashboard. It kind of creates a, a really clean cut between the person speaking. Uh, we're going to be hosting a Q&A towards the end, and so I'd like to encourage you all to also post your questions and comments in the chat function. So please join us now in giving a warm welcome to Belen Gopigu, Mark Schaefer, and Catherine Silver. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. I'm just going to give a brief overview of how this hour is going to go. Um, we're going to, they're going to read three or four sections in Spanish and English at times. And in between, we're going to have conversation, stimulating, witty, charming conversation. And, um, and then at the end, there will be, I assume, about a 15-minute period of questions. Um, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong. If you have questions, type them into the chat. And then I will be able to look at those and then extract um, some, all, hopefully, uh, when we get to that. So without further ado, Mark and Belen begin the reading and you will introduce what you're reading and give some context for it. Okay, then I'm going to start. Uh, thank you everybody and thank you City Lights for me. I am so, so proud to be in that publishing house. Uh, as you may know, this book is about an strange couple that wants to go to, to Google to work and they write an strange letter of admission. The first thing I'm going to read is the the answer of uh, Inari, that is a kind of artificial intelligence, but not, not just like chat GPT, for instance, but um, let's say a more evolved one. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to read it and then Mark will explain it in English and it will be better for, for you. Se me ha dicho que realice mi trabajo empleando el sentido común. Es decir, que presuponga que algunas cosas son las esperadas a no ser que se me indique lo contrario. Ejemplo clásico, si me hablan de un pájaro, asumo que puede volar. 
En principio, no considero la posibilidad de que el pájaro sea un pingüino. Si alguien me pide que diseñe una jaula para un pájaro, diseñaré una jaula con techo, porque asumo que el pájaro puede volar. También asumo que me indicarán si quieren que ahorre material y elimine el techo, porque da la casualidad de que el pájaro en cuestión es un pingüino, luego no vuela. El llamado sentido común trabaja con lo esperable. Me han recomendado usarlo en la mayor parte de los casos. Por tanto, si me llega una solicitud para un puesto de trabajo, esperaré que se especifique a qué puesto se opta. Mateo y Olga no lo especifican. Esperaré que cumpla con los consejos de la compañía en la que aspiran a trabajar. Por ejemplo, ser breve. No lo cumplen, etcétera. De manera que al hacer un repaso rápido del archivo para ver sus características, me pregunto, ¿Mateo y Olga son pingüinos? Tomo pues la decisión de admitir la solicitud, porque Google necesita pingüinos, necesita lo no previsible. ¿Y acaso se pueden establecer pautas para lo no previsible? Aquí solía decir una de las personas que me enseñó, huele a paradoja. Google necesita, supongamos, algunos seres indisciplinados, pero si solicita la indisciplina y alguien indisciplinadamente se la ofrece, ya no tiene indisciplina. Si un profesor le pide a su alumnado que se revele y se suba a las mesas, solo quien permanezca sentado le habrá entendido y estará de verdad revelándose. Ahora bien, el acto de permanecer en su asiento no aporta suficiente información sobre las cualidades indisciplinadas o rebeldes que Google requiere. No siempre las requiere, desde luego, aunque en algunas contadas ocasiones sí. Yo debo prestar atención a las solicitudes que proceden de un pingüino o de varios, por si acaso. En consecuencia, admito la solicitud. I've been told to apply common sense as I carry out my duties, which is to say, I presume certain things to be expectable unless otherwise indicated. A classic example, when a bird is mentioned, I assume it can fly. Initially, I don't consider the possibility that the bird might be a penguin. If someone asks me to design a bird cage, I will design a cage with a roof because I assume the bird can fly. I also assume that they will tell me should they want me to save on materials and forego the roof as that bird in question is a penguin and thus can't fly. So-called common sense relies on what people expect. I've been encouraged to follow this in most cases. So if I receive an application for a position, I expect it to indicate the position it is for. Mateo and Olga don't indicate this. I expect it to follow the recommendations of the company where they are seeking employment. For example, be concise. They don't follow this. And on and on. So after taking a quick look at this file to take note of its characteristics, I ask myself, are Mateo and Olga penguins? Then I decide to accept the application because Google needs penguins. It needs the unpredictable. And how can one establish guidelines for the unpredictable? This, as one of my teachers here would say, smacks of paradox. Let's say Google needs a few undisciplined people. But if it lacks, if it seeks a lack of discipline and someone offers that in a disciplined fashion, they are no longer undisciplined. If a professor asks her students to rebel and stand on their desks, only the person who remains seated will have understood her and truly will be in rebellion. That said, remaining seated doesn't provide enough information regarding the qualities of rebelliousness or lack of discipline that Google needs. Of course, Google doesn't always need them, though it does on occasion. I should pay attention to applications submitted by one or more penguins, just in case. Thus, I'm accepting this application. Belen and I picked four sections from the novel that give some different aspects of what happens uh, in, in the story. And um, we were thinking of having questions and answers or conversation between, but Catherine will lead us. Oh. We, the- <laughs> Okay. Um, well, the, the first and third, we're going to read in Spanish and then English. 
and the second and the fourth, I'll just read in English. Okay. Well, so that that first, let's just start right in with sort of the voices in this book. There are two voices, or and neither of them are really individual voices as we know voices to be. So this first sample is a smaller part of the book. It's the Google employee intern, unclear. Um, I, I, unclear who or what this voice is. And the majority of the book is this letter that was submitted, um, written by Mateo, a young man, and Olga, an older woman. Uh, so also not an individual voice, but a, a combined voice. Can you both, Mark, you as a translator, because you you rendered these voices so beautifully, so consistently, so con with such conviction. Um, and uh, Belen, you created that. So could you guys talk a little bit about these two voices and how they, what they represent in the book and how they, how would you define them or discuss them? Mm. Belen, will you start? No, you first. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier and, um, the one big topic of the book is is um, is individuals and collectives on a small scale and a big scale. And I know this is a, a major um, a topic for Belen over many, if not all of the novels. And um, and so, um, uh, both individually as as minds, as beings, and as as people, as as human beings, um, they are uh, the book and the the two characters or the two of the three characters in the book are are talking a lot about what is it what does it mean to be an individual, both in social, economic, historic time, in psychological, human. Uh, experience and 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 in relation to artificial intelligence, the universe, um, and so I guess all of which is to say that they are there is a um, so specifically Matteo and Olga have very different languages. Um, their their relationship to you know language is very different. Um, uh, but there's also a they're they're working together and and we're understood to read this book as the melding of the two voices. So I really was trying to both use a language that a twenty year old would be using for Mateo that Olga might not use. Um, he he swears more. <laughs> Um, he 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 uses his his language is less controlled in a way. She's she's been you know thinking about language for much longer, um, and at the same time, there's a common quality of. Um, I mean, I'd have to think about how to describe that, but um, the narration has a common quality as as well because they're. This is a letter they've both worked on together. Yes, uh, it's perfect what Mark has. Absolutely. I, I think a uh, novel has evolved uh, in, from time to time, and now uh, we know a lot about uh, how difficult it is to 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 put a circle around what is to be an eye. Because psychology, neuroscience, we have a lot of knowledge that uh, tell us that uh, we don't dent in our skin, that uh, what happens in our brain has started a long time ago, that we, that an individual cannot be only a, a, a human alone because he would die. And that is what I try to build in a novel because I think sometimes mm, novel still works when with an idea of uh, two centuries ago of what is 
a person, you're just a great person with. Uh, and not, uh, we are made of many things, we even don't know what, what they are. No? So that's what I was trying. And for me, it was very important to build a relationship between two people very different, but that they can understand each other. That, that's wonderful. How about you guys read a little sample from the other voice and then we can get a sense of this dual, this melding that happens. That would be lovely. I'm, I'm... Yes, well, uh, what we have read is neither of one of Mateo or Olga is that right. kind of, yes. But now right. uh, Mark is going to read it. I'm just going to read the second section in English and just by way of context. So Mateo is 22. He's a college student. He's the older of two brothers in a lower middle class family that's struggling on many fronts. This is a, a current, you know, modern family in the 20s. Um, uh, the, the, in the novel, it says that crackling sound, that sense of danger extends beyond any particular threat. So that's sort of uh, his, his life. Um, Olga, 62, is a retired mathematician and a small business owner. She formed her own business to develop modeled mathematical models, predictive models. And the, the, the narration says the future for both of them is dim. They, for various reasons, they meet in a public library, they start to talk about ideas, and then the two of them embark on this project to write and submit a job application to Google for Mateo, which leads them to among other topics, merit. So it start, this passage starts uh, this way. Sometimes lucky people want to deserve their good luck as well as enjoy it. They want a little security, though many would prefer not con consider this at all. And though they don't say it, don't accept it, this would mean that they'd have to make room for the idea that unlucky people deserve their misery as well. That, that was Olga talking to Mateo. They're sitting in her living room. Mateo gets up, takes two bottles of beer from the refrigerator without asking. Olga sets hers aside. It's only six o'clock. She doesn't feel like drinking yet. But those are two different things, Olga, two different things. It's easy for you to say because you don't think anyone deserves anything, neither happiness nor sorrow. I don't see it that way. I can't compare an illness like the one my father has to the effort made by people ready and able to invent themselves. Olga doesn't feel like talking, wishes it were already eight o'clock, that they were in the pub and that this conversation wasn't happening. You think it's a gift one has, Matteo continues, just like anything else one has. It could be, says Olga, it's just an idea, Matteo. I think it would be better if instead of being proud of who they are, People carried their abilities like something they discovered inside themselves, if they carried them with a sense of astonishment. Wow, that's wonderful. Um, I'm gonna segue away from that for one minute and sort of uh, zoom out. And I wanna ask Mark um, as the translator, um, how you came to Belen's work. Um, how, what excited you about it, why you were drawn to it. And I, I'm also interested, um, according to Google, <laughs> um, she has written, do, should we trust Google or not? Nine novels, one book of short stories, four nonfiction books and four children's books. It's quite an opus. Um, City Lights published another book of Belen's uh, back in the, you, you're gonna show it? <laughs> Yes, um, and this one. So I also am interested in why these two, um, yeah. Uh, Great. Um, <laughs> I feel so lucky to have ended up translating books by, by Belen. Um, you are. The, <laughs> the, and then extraordinarily lucky to have translated this one at this moment. It's just really kind of stunning. Um, to me. So um, I, uh, in the 90s, I went back to school to do a master's in what was called 
uh, Hispanic Studies at Boston University because I wanted to learn, I want to read more. <laughs> I want to read more from the Spanish speaking world and, uh, and talk with people about it. I had just moved back to Boston. I wasn't very connected, but I was, I'd been working as a translator for a while. Um, and in one of my classes on the modern uh, 20th century Spanish novel, uh, we read La Escala de los Mapas. And um, for people who have read it, they, they will know what I mean. Um, the, the beginning, the, it's very short chapters. And the first chapter, which I'm just looking at, it's maybe five pages. Um, it's just stunning. <laughs> you, you, it's one of the amazing and wonderful beginnings of a novel in literature. And it, it, it totally draws you in and then sort of turns everything, turns you upside down and um, and the relationship with the text that the reader has is suddenly much more two way, I guess is how I'd say it than than it usually is for for reading certainly fiction. And um, and I think one of the things she she's doing in that book is um, is thinking about. What does it mean for us to imagine, for us to tell stories about ourselves, about the world, as well as telling a story uh, uh, that includes that? And, um, and so fast forward many years and um, uh, Elaine Katzenberger, who's the executive director of City Lights uh, Books, um, uh, asked me about three, three or four years ago if I would be interested in translating another book that she was interested in publishing another book by, by Belen. And she suggested a few. Um, in the meantime, I had read a few of her books of Belen's novels. And, um, and I remember one in particular, and I, I keep forgetting the name, but it's, it's all about collectives. It's about the idea of individuals and groups of individuals and what what does that mean socially and politically and um, and and uh, in our current moment and and I I was fascinated by it but I felt this just doesn't have a readership in the United States it's all it's all about ideas and it's about ideas that people aren't really talking much about here um, uh, at least in a broader conversation. And so I sort of considered briefly translating it and thought that there just aren't, it just doesn't have a place here. And um, so then uh, I, I picked, um, I picked Stay This Day and Night with, and with me, I think because of the combination of a very powerful conversation between two characters and then just more broadly the talking about artificial intelligence and um, and sort of indi the individual psychologically, socioeconomically, like what is, how does merit, what is the idea of an ind individual having merit or even free will? So lots of deep uh, topics that are engaged in, in conversation and with just all the wonderful ideas and facts and lyricism that Belen brings to that discussion. And little did I know, I thought I still thought, well, this is a novel. Of, uh, this is a conversational novel. Like it just and and then in the last month, Chad GPT and uh, and suddenly, I mean, one question I have for Belen is, what you think? I mean, so to finish my sentence, suddenly this is like one of the most relevant novels this month. Um, and, uh, and yet you wrote it six years ago, which isn't such a crazy thing to be able to look forward, but I'm wondering then what you think about when you wrote it and how it, it got published a few years later in Spanish and then now in English. Well, I, I admire very much uh, Marvin Minsky that uh, that uh, man that uh, knew a lot of artificial intelligence 
And he said that uh, when when one does something that it's okay, uh, mm, you don't have to be proud of it, but you mm, it's better to feel some shame because if you are very proud, then you get stuck and then you are just looking for awards or something and you don't uh, don't investigate more. No, so it that's what I try to do because I am in a way proud because I uh, sometimes write things and then something happens, but. Uh, it's not proud uh, like oh I I guess what was going to happen is just a kind of uh, uh, I saw it because I have the possibility to to look for uh, to reality no because it's my work I am a writer and and I, I just say well it's what what writers do we we look what is going to happen because we we look at the signals and i was looking at that i was looking that that google was in our lives and was uh, making things that that in weren't present in literature and and that all that findings about science and were also changing our lives and, and literature was thinking again about love and about the body, about things that, that are important, but are not the only things of literature. And, and I think it was nice to, to put all these things together. And, and now it has happened what, what we supposed it was going to happen. I think chat GPT is not a qualitative change. But it's in the in the linear in in the way to a change that is going is we are working on it. I mean, I I would say just to add, I think one of the things I loved about translating your novels and being in your language, and also the i the level of ideas, um, is that you that I sense a deep like your, your writing has a deep caring for people in its observation of the big picture, but also the smallest details. Mm -hmm. And so I understand it not as you saw the future, but you're paying attention to the present. Yes, yes. Uh, Graham Greene also told that us, uh, that we are like explorers that, and, and we see the, uh, if, if something in a tree has been broken, then we say, oh, it is because uh, an animal came here, so he may come back, but uh, we are not uh, uh, imagining what hasn't happened, but we are imagining what has happened. <laughs> For me, that is uh, the, the sign of a writer, that, that she can imagine what, what we are not what we could be, not if we could fly or something, but what with, with we are. Oh. Shall we read another section? Oh, oh, okay, you let me unmute. Sorry, there was a glitch. They, they weren't letting me unmute. Okay, oh. um, sorry, yes, read another section. <laughs> Thank you. I think this is my turn. Um, yeah. I just a minute. I find it. Uh, well, Mateo confides in Olga uh, that his father's cognitive abilities has been deteriorating. Both Mateo and Olga's energy are depleted. Hers for reasons she hasn't shared with Mateo. This evening, their discussion is turning in an argument and Mateo is unusually testing. Olga suspira. Había esperado un azar más favorable. Llega a hablar con Mateo de todo eso en días de bonanza para él. No va a ser así y siente que se agota, que a veces tampoco ella puede comprender todo ni aceptar todo, que Mateo podría dejar de comportarse como un adolescente unos minutos. Perdona, pero no, no estoy diciendo eso. No me digas que perdone, estamos hablando, no te coloques por encima de mí. 
Habrá, creo, confusión, dice Olga cambiando de tono. En realidad, a ella también le irrita que alguien diga perdona en una conversación. Hoy las empresas anuncian satisfechas que pueden predecir con un ligero margen de error a dónde querrás irte de vacaciones el próximo verano. O admiten que no importa si eliminas las cookies del navegador o si cambias de número de teléfono, pues tienen tantos datos de ti, cómo mueves el ratón, cuáles son tus contactos, cuándo escribes, que terminarán reconociéndote allí donde estés. ¿Qué pasará el día en que Google o cualquier otra compañía no solo procese búsquedas y mensajes, sino también genomas y recuerdos? Lo sé, siempre habrá perturbaciones, cambios de trayectoria que dificulten la predictibilidad. Sé que siempre habrá ruido, excepciones. Nunca llegaremos a saber dónde estarás dentro de cinco años. Pero la mera idea de que el margen de error pueda acortarse cambiará la forma de pensar en nosotros mismos. Y tú entonces, dice Mateo ya sin ocultar su cólera, ¿sentirás compasión por los malvados? Olga sighs. I'm going to read a little bit more than what, what um, Belén read. Olga sighs. She was hoping chance would be more in her favor, that she would talk about all this with Mateo on one of his good days. It's not playing out that way, and she feels herself growing exhausted that sometimes she can't grasp or accept it all either, that Mateo could stop behaving like a teenager for a couple of minutes. Excuse me, but no, that's not what, I was, what I'm saying. Don't ask me to excuse you. We're talking. Don't place yourself on a pedestal above me. I think there must be some confusion, Olga says, changing her tone. In fact, she gets irritated herself when someone says, excuse me, in a conversation. Nowadays, companies claim to be satisfied when they can predict within a slight margin of error where you will want to go on vacation next summer. Or they concede that it doesn't matter whether you clear the cookies from your browser or change your phone number because they have so much data on you, how you move your mouse, who your contacts are, when you write, that they'll be able to recognize you wherever you are. What will happen the day Google or any other company doesn't process just searches and texts, but also genomes and memories. I know there will always be disturbances, shifts in trajectory that complicate predictability. I know there will always be noise, exceptions. We'll never be able to know where you'll be in five years, but the very idea that the margin of error could be reduced will shift how we think about ourselves. And then, Mateo says, no longer concealing his rage, will you feel compassion for the wicked? Olga tries one last time. Mateo, you're worried about your father. You're in the middle of taking your exams. Wouldn't you prefer to talk some other time? No, I wouldn't. Don't take pity on us. You have no right to take pity on us just because some hypothetical chain of causes that wasn't of your making has given you more resources and a more comfortable life than the one my parents have. She raises both hands as if she were about to say something, then puts them back down on the table. I like to watch you, Olga. Almost anything can make your eyes gleam. A scene you've witnessed, a color, a phrase you've heard, but even to laugh out loud, you have to be somewhat calm, and not everyone is. Let it go, Mateo. How's your father? I don't want to talk about my father. I want to talk about me and about you and about what exactly we're doing. This ridiculously long text is pointless. Why can't you help me write a normal application? With a normal application, I know, I know, Mateo interrupts her. I wouldn't have the slightest chance. Thanks for the reminder. Olga looks at Mateo's nearly empty glass. He looks at it too. He's a lightweight when it comes to alcohol. I'm sorry, Mateo says. It's okay. I know the chances are very slim that our story will catch the attention of the recruiters, but still, I think it'll be higher if we do it this way than if we send them a normal application. But it's not as if we're trying to come up with something that could be of any use, something they might want. If they gave me a job, then I, would, then I really would be able to help out at home. That would take a long time, Mateo, time I don't have. I won't be able to stay here more than a few weeks, perhaps two months, but if that's what you want, as far as helping out at home, I, 
I don't know what I want, Olga. I don't get why you have to go. I, you could teach me how to build one of your models. We could offer them one that's mind blowing. If you wanted to, you could. Olga wavers. It's not the moment. She's not gonna tell him right now. She only responds to the second part. I love that section because it, it just expresses so much of the compassion for both of these characters and that they have for each other and the beauty of their different moments in life and how they combine. Anyway, it's very beautiful. I want to remind people to please post questions on the chat because in about five or six minutes, we're going to probably switch over. And if there are enough questions, I see a couple, but would love to have more um, that you, that through me, you can, through the chat, you can ask either Mark or Belen or both of them. Um, uh, it struck me when I read the book that um, City Lights is in San Francisco and Google was created in the Bay Area. And um, I feel like in some way, City Lights and Google represent these two ways of being human. Um, they are these two ways of being human. Um, and maybe not not binaries, but it's definitely extremes. Um, and here is this novel by a Spanish author. And this kind of touches on why we, many of us got into translating this sort of sense or why we love translated literature is this sense of some vision from outside. So maybe you guys could talk about what you feel um, is, what do we gain from seeing ourselves specifically in the Bay Area or humanity um, from the outside? Well, for, for me, it was a dream <laughs> when Mark translated my first novel and I thought it was something so impossible to happen again. So I, I said, once is okay and it's beautiful and it's okay. But then when it has happened with this second novel, I, I, when I wrote it, I didn't have the the hope that it had some some that it will be translated into English again. No? But uh, I, when you write, uh, you are um, addressing to to someone that you don't know who is it. No. And I have something of my characters in the in the sense that they talk about their non-existence. They feel that they don't exist for Google, and and that is what a writer do. Uh, you you can make people exist, people that that we don't usually look look at them. No, and I was trying uh, to think uh, that Google. Google has the power. I mean, the power than the, that we don't have in Madrid, in in normal streets, in normal houses. No, uh, should should listen to to the thing that doesn't exist because uh, when you don't exist, when you don't have to make effort to shine because you are never going to shine so much that has to be seen. You have a lot of freedom and you have a lot of time and you can think mm, in a way that maybe when when you are in the in the run of making another application and another app and, and something better and something that makes more money uh, you can you cannot stop and say but this what for and i think uh, google should need to 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 think about what for because all what he, he has, or he or she, or what the company has, has, uh, has been made with our, our data. It's not theirs, it's from all humanity. And I think they, do, they doesn't have the right to, to just use it to, to have money because is they are using something that is uh, from everyone and they should uh, give them back uh, the, the richness that they are using. Mark, would you like to say something about the, um, the outside perspective or the, a different perspective? 
Well, I did say, I'm thinking about what I said earlier, my sense that like many of her novels are, are um, sort of talking about ideas that we're not talking about right. so much right. in the United States. Um, and, but um, I, I, I had two thoughts, two more thoughts. One is um, that I sort of imagine that, um, I don't know if this is particular to you, Belen, but I feel like your novels are kind of bottles thrown into the sea with a note in them. And that ironically, like when you said you didn't expect this to be translated, um, ironically, maybe the letter did arrive to Google um, <laughs> again in a different way in the sense that it, it, it arrived in the language of most of the people, at, I'm assuming, at, at Google, the first language at least. And, and, and so maybe it will, the book will actually have some kind of conversation with Google maybe not directly, but, or, or an expanded conversation. And, and so I wouldn't say it's ironic, but um, it, it's, I think, a good thing. Yes. Um, but, and it also happened because you exist, Mark, and because <laughs> it is something like City Lights exists. Gotcha. I mean, in the, in the place of the power also exists another kind of sensibility, no? and that is very important. Mm. Yeah. I, I, there's a phrase that I wrote down. I mean, there, the, as I think I've, I've said probably several times, one of the things I love about um, your writing, Belen, is that the fiction is that there are all these ideas. There's a lot of hard science. I mean, I can only imagine the accumulated research that goes into or that, that is part of producing each of these novels there's, you learn so many things reading this book if you follow, if you follow the links, right? Um, uh, and uh, there are these moments of just such beautiful lyric um, language that is, that is as it, it, what it describes full of beauty and sorrow. And, um, and there's this phrase I wrote down, um, uh, uh, wait, where did it go? Um, human beings light up in secret, bloom in the darkness, ripen in secret. And so I think you were talking about that in a bigger picture, but also yes, exactly. That on the, yeah. Yes. Well, we're getting to the time mark where we should open it up to questions. And I know you had another piece you wanted to read. Um, but one question um, segues nicely to what you just said, which is about the research that went into your book. Um, it's were there interesting takes on um, I'm curious about the research for the book. Were there interesting takes on AI that you read that were foundational that went into your thinking as you were writing the book? Um, so we can answer that question and then maybe go back to your reading and then take another few questions. Maybe skip the last part. Reading. If oh, okay. no well, questions. we'll see. Let, let's see I, how it goes. I just want to jump in before Belen answers that because it, although the text is all there, I didn't have to do research to find the text, but I kept following things, you know, looking up who is, what was the conversation between Tagore and Einstein? Um, who are all these musicians? And, and um, you know, I ended up creating a whole playlist among other things um, because there's all these references to music. So so I'll leave the rest to Belen with that question. Um, the question about my research, or yeah, I am trying to find it. I'm going to have a research. Okay. It. Uh, well, uh, when I write a book, I always do two or three kinds of research. One is with people. I try to find people that are working in in the in the way in the in the campo, <laughs> in, in, well, that are working in what I am going to write about. And, in the field, and, yeah. Okay, and they they um, I I talk with them. I ask them, and and they. Uh, they guide me to to some lectures and to, uh, to and to some authors, and then I start reading. I mean, I don't start reading 
looking in the Wikipedia, for instance, but but I look people that can tell me because sometimes there is an author very famous, but uh, not what uh, what is important for my writing, no. And and then I read a lot, and then I come back to these people, and which with the things I have learned, I I ask new questions, and that's the way I think. But uh, interesting things, and I am the research work that way into your thinking of your work. And uh, it was uh, in both times. I, I wanted to to write about Google and about uh, artificial intelligence in some way, and about free will because I think they are interconnected. But uh, I didn't make the research first, and then. I make some research, I start writing, I make some research, and that's how it went. Okay. Um, we could take another question, or you could read that last section on Tagore and Einstein. <laughs> okay. Such a beautiful section. And Lucretius? Um, maybe I'll, re I'll read just a, a part of it. Um, just that paragraph, yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, let's see, uh, okay, um, I, I, so the, after the section we, I, we, I read, we read the, their argument ends badly, they take, Matteo stops looking for Olga for a few weeks and then he finally is able to look for her again and knock on her door and she opens it and they pick up where they left off. Um, I don't have all the answers, Olga says. I hardly have any. In the argument of Einstein versus Tagore, I can't even pick a side. Matteo isn't familiar with that argument. When Olga gets up and heads to the room with the computer and prints it out for him, as she's done so many times, he feels as if the world is returning to its proper order. His world, the four compass points restored. For weeks, he's been feeling like a useless object one of those CD racks manufactured years ago that show up in dumpsters now and then. Olga comes back with the printout and starts to tell him about the dispute between the scientist and the poet, between logic and mysticism. Tagore eventually allows for a causality but speaks of unpredictable connections invoking quantum mechanics. Einstein never believed in the mysterious side of quantum mechanics and perhaps he was right. As knowledge advances, the idea that the behavior of particles is not inherently random, but rather is a tangled thicket which successive hypotheses and tools render more observable and predictable is gaining acceptance. Of course, in systems that are moving away from equilibrium, it seems one might find something resembling that atomic swerve Epicurus and Lucretius imagined, the unanticipated shift in trajectory common in cases of turbulence. In any case, free will speaks of controlling human actions, so it wouldn't matter whether they are beyond our control due to an irreversible randomness or to non-random causes, even, says Olga, if those causes were unknown. Tagore invokes the argument of the interpreter. Music is written down, but there's room for sense and sensibility, which means that it sounds different according to whoever is playing it. We dance the precepts, the preset steps. Yet, I'll stop. I'll stop there. That's beautiful. Um, a couple people have asked questions about merit. Um, one talks about it in terms that there is another definition of merit, the Buddhist um, take on it, and so maybe explain a little bit. And then the other question is how merit um, opens up. Uh, an acknowledgement about the class issues that are um, so central to the story and are obviously so important to you, Belen. And I think that also segues into um, a perspective that we don't often have in the United States. Um, so maybe uh, talk about merit a little bit, wh why it's central to you and what your definition of it is, maybe as opposed to, or just on its own, as opposed to the Buddhist one or just on its own, yeah. Yes, when when I wrote the book, I think uh, Michael Sandel hasn't had had not written his book about the tyranny of merit, but uh, that uh, and 
and I agree in some ways with 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 his point of view. No? What he says is that all labors um, have have to be recognized. All um, have to be the all have to have the same importance because if not, uh, it comes a kind of uh, ibris of the people that have good works and and they. Uh, can despise the people who have another kind of works and so on. I understand this and I think it is important for democracy, but but I, I was trying to, to get uh, far, no? because if you don't believe very much in free will, and if you think that uh, most of the gifts you have are really gifts. You you didn't get them with your work. We, you get them because you know how to do some things, or because you grow in a in a kind of house with some books or whatever. Then uh, it's just what Mark read. Not you. You have to be astonished of that of that gifts, but but not to use it to say, hey, I deserve more because of it. And I think that what that is what they are discussing all the time because I always write trying to make a kind of dialectic. Do you say that word? Yes. Uh, and dialogues in in the sense that I try to 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 um, understand both points of view. I understand the point of view of Olga. I am very near of that point of view. But I also understand the point of view of Matteo because with when you have very less things, uh, very few, you you need effort. You need to believe in effort because it's what you have. You you don't have uh, that gift. You don't have that house full of books. But you have your effort. And if someone tells you, oh, merit doesn't, we don't care about it. You feel uh, like orphan you you don't have anything no so i think uh, in that discussion um, they are um, they they finally find a way where they can stay together and that then you have to read the book to, to find this also yeah I, I mean part of what i love about the book is that you allow for various a range of points of views without having to resolve it and say, oh, this one. I, I kept finding myself wanting to say, oh, I agree with this. And then, oh, and then I love the way they just sort of all can coexist. Um, yeah, I mean, we're getting to the end of the time. I A, a quick uh, question that I, something I wanted to clarify because I didn't really realize it till the end of the book. And then even then I was unclear. So the first voice you read, um, is it human? <laughs> well, I think the Google uh, employee intern. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a kind of artificial intelligence, but uh, not uh, not a, a one of brute force. Just to say, not not one that uh, just uses a lot, a lot, a lot of data and a lot of algorithms, but. But the one that maybe Marky, Marvin Minsky or John McCarthy, they dream, no, that that was one that uh, could understand uh, what is an object, what is an analogy, what what is the sense of what we do, and because they have models of the world as as we have, uh, as I meet a person and I have a model of her or, or of him, and I say. He may do this thing, uh, and she may doesn't like that thing because. And I think um, it is possible we arrive to it. You know, it will take time, but I can believe my character could exist sometime. Okay, so it's a it's a futuristic robot. It's a robot of the future. Let's say. Let's say it, it. I I never say in the in the in the book it could be a, a, a just a worker from Google, but I think it has something special. 
Well, what's interesting, it could be a, a robot of the future or a human of the present who's just been working with algorithms too much <laughs> and has been uh -huh. in, too influenced by the algorithm. Maybe. Right. That's so, um, so it's sort of in, in that in that field. Um, I think we need to wrap it up. Um, do you guys want to say anything else that we haven't covered until now? Um, I just want to uh, uh, ask Bilin um, a question that uh, Diane Walters asked. Do you see any good use for artificial intelligence as it figures in our life now? Yes, I, I, I see a, a lot of uh, good uses that can help us. Uh, I mean, uh, in a medical way, when they look to echographies and so on, they can find that there are a lot of uses, but uh, the problem is always who use them and, and, and who has the power to, to, to say, what we use it for and who is going to benefit of, of it no maybe uh, i think uh, there are a lot of uses that are not very useful for instance i i think that uh, driving a car is not the more useful thing we need in the world our world has so many 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 problems and they are and a lot of billions are um, being put in that thing no and, and why why cannot i i think it would be beautiful that uh, we could uh, everybody now we have the the way would be asked and say uh, what do you think is more important now and i think it, people is it's very intelligent this is more intelligent than we believe and and we all are very intelligent and could say things that would be more important. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, somebody else has asked, where are Olga and Mateo physically? Uh, sorry, ask where? Where are Olga and Mateo physically? Where, where do they live? In in Spain, in a, in uh, in Madrid, in uh, Madrid. I, I think it's a place uh, called. Uh, it's a uh, well. Uh, it's a very specific question. I don't know if it is uh, useful for you, but uh, it's a, a, a neighborhood uh, called Parla. But I don't. Uh, that's what I have in my imagination, but I don't put it in the... <laughs> well, I'm I'm so thrilled that I got an opportunity. I could have missed this book. And thank you so much, City Lights, for asking me to do this because I, what a rich world it introduced me to. Thank you, Belen and Mark. Thank you very, very much. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Catherine and City Lights. and. Peter in particular. Well, I would like to express our gratitude to the three of you for this lovely afternoon of reading and discussion. Belen Gobagui, and congratulations on this wonderful new book and for gracing our virtual halls. Mark Schaefer, it was so nice to have you back in our orbit once again. It's always a pleasure. And Catherine, thank you ever so much for doing the honors. We were looking forward to your new forthcoming work. Uh, also want to thank everyone in the audience for joining us today. We have posted links in the chat with which you may purchase books. Uh, and if you're in the hood, come on down and visit us. We have one of the largest selections of translation on the West Coast, if not in the country. Indeed, literature and translation holds an important place in the heart of City Lights, both as a bookstore and a publisher. So come on down to visit us. We're located in San Francisco's historic North Beach District. We're open seven days a week. Our new hours are Monday through Thursday, 11 to 8, and Friday through Sunday, 11 to 9, getting a little closer to our pre-pandemic hours, I'm happy to say. I also want to point out that City Lights is celebrating its 70th anniversary in 2023, we will be featuring a special calendar of events beginning in May and running through to the end of the year. These will include both live in-store and online events. We're going to be featuring poetry readings, historic lectures, uh, panel discussions, and talks, much, much more. So keep an eye on our events calendar for pending announcements. 
Tonight's event or today's event has been made possible by support from the City Lights Foundation, continuing the legacy of our founder, the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti, through public events like this one, our publishing program, and educational outreach, all dedicated to sustaining a vibrant community of readers, writers, and independent thinkers. So take care, everyone. Be well. We hope to see you all again very soon. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast from City Lights Bookstore and Publishers. Our theme music was provided by Axolotl. All City Lights events are free. To see upcoming events at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, check out www.citylights.com events.